0: This is Talking Business. I'm joined by Didier Elzinga, who is the CEO and founder of CultureAmp. G'day, Didier. Thank you for having me on board. Not at all. Um, very interesting. What is CultureAmp?
1: What is CultureAmp? So CultureAmp is my company, and uh, we're a software company. And when did you start it? Back in 2011. And uh, software to do with culture, I guess. It is, hence the name. Yeah, so CultureAmp is a people and culture platform. And essentially what we do is we help organizations uh, attract, retain, but also, and probably most importantly, grow their people.
0: Now, what, does it, what do you do? What does it do on the thing?
1: So, the core idea is really around how we collect feedback. So, how do we allow the organization to collect feedback from their staff and use that to make better decisions, but also, at the individual level, how do you help every person? Oh, so
0: you're a suggestion box? No, no. <laughs>
1: a glorified <laughs> suggestion box, yes. Yes. Uh, I mean, in the same way, if you think about customers... And today, would no one would run a company without thinking about what do our customers think about what we're doing? What's the experience they're having? It's the same thing. So they we...
0: survey their customers all the time. So are you a sort of a a, a process for surveying staff? A, exactly. Yes. Um, and you're saying that that feeds into culture, or that creates culture, or allows a company to create culture. Is that? Yeah. Is that
1: it? So I, I think at its core, what we do when we say to customers is you know, they want to intentionally describe the experience they want their people to have and then measure where it's occurring and where it's not and then make changes accordingly. Right. Okay. And how much you charge for it? So it depends on the size of the company. So, you know, we have some customers, are, uh, you know, uh, 10, 20 people, and our biggest customer has 110,000. So the the gamut is is large, and at at the bottom end, it's in the low thousands of dollars, and the top end, it's in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And is it a
0: a subscription per seat or something like that? Yes,
1: it's the SaaS software that's eating the world.
0: Yeah, that's right. It's a SaaS business. Um, Yeah, so what made you think of it?
1: So prior to this, I actually worked in film. So I used to run a visual effects company uh, from Adelaide and Sydney called Rising Sun Pictures, and I did that for 13 years. And as I got near the end of my time there, um, I actually met two young guys by the name of Mike Cannon Brooks and Scott Farquhar, the co founders of Atlassian. Oh, yeah. And uh, we became friends, and I sort of looked at their business model and thought, it's a lot better than mine. I was running a service business, they were running a, a software company, and my background is software. So I thought, I'm still young, I have a chance to fail. Let's go run, a, let's build a software company, let's make more dents in the universe. And that's what led me to start the company. And the reason for people and culture is, as a CEO, I think you're a glorified psychiatrist. Like everything that the biggest level you have is the people that you have in the company, and so I was drawn to that as the issue that I wanted to help push forward. You've raised some money, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much have you raised?
0: Uh, a little over seventy-five million US so in, far. Uh, in what? How many rounds? In four rounds. Right. And what was your uh, valuation on the last round? Can you tell us? Well, we don't. We don't disclose the valuation. Right. But it keeps going up. Can you Can you give us a sense of how much you've? given away or sold of the company?
1: Uh, I mean, we, we were unlike a lot of our customers and a lot of the companies that we compare ourselves to in Silicon Valley. We have an office in San Francisco and in New York. And so compared to them, we've actually done less because we actually bootstrapped the company through to a million dollars in revenue. And we did our first round uh, at a million. So we've probably given away less than most companies at our size. Right. Are you making a profit yet? No, this is the, uh, the... This is why you keep raising money. Well, it's the game plan that comes out of the valley. At the end of the day, you're making a decision between growth and profitability, and, and the goal is to go build a category and to become the future of what this area needs to be. And so we're still very much invested in that, and we're still doubling every year. I, I was actually just looking this morning... We will have grown the company by over 50
0: times by the end of this year in four years. So when you, when you go into a company to sell them your service, mm-hmm. are you pitching against anybody?
1: Uh, I mean, there's a, there's a range of different places. A lot of the companies we're talking to have used consultants in the past. So whether it was Towers Watson or Connexa or Alan Hewitt, and they want to move away from doing a sort of once a year project into
0: building tooling that allows this to be part of the way the company runs. Right. So, but I mean, is anyone else in the world doing a platform and a SaaS app like you do for culture?
1: Uh, yes. I mean, there, there are multiple competitors. One of our competitors got bought by LinkedIn for half a billion dollars last year, uh, Glint. And then there's other players out there as well. Why we, did LinkedIn buy you uh, for half a billion? Yeah. Well, I I was, mean, well <laughs> first of all, I wouldn't have sold. So th- that's one thing. Um, but did they ask you? We were talking to them as well. Uh, I think the there's all sorts of different places, different ways people are looking at the space. We were one of the first into the space and, and one of the things that we've done, which is probably a little different to many others, is that what drives us is the idea of accessibility. So it's not let's just go get Fortune One Hundred companies as clients. It's how do we get this into the hands of everybody? And so one of the things we're really proud of is not just the software, but the community that we've built around it. And so there are, you know, thirty five thousand people a week read our people geekly and and interact with all the ideas that we have around people and culture. And many of those aren't customers,
0: not yet anyway. How far do you think the, um, this business can go? I mean, do you, do you think that one day you'll be able to spend a $100 million on a house, $100 million on a house <laughs> on uh, Sydney Harbour, like uh, Mike Cannon Brooks did? <laughs>
1: um, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, there's, there's plenty of space. I mean, it's interesting because when I talk to venture capitalists, they often say, oh, you know, how big's the market? And I look at them and say, how many companies employ people? Like every company that employs people at some point needs to figure out how to interact with them in in the best way possible, and that's what we help. So I see essentially unlimited potential in terms of what we can do, and we're at the point now where we're a decent-sized organisation, almost 400 people globally, um, but it feels like we're only scratching the surface of what we can do over the next 5, 10 years. And for us, I mean, the money's nice, it's nice to get the revenue, but the internal mission that we have is... How can we amplify what 100 million people are capable of being at work? That's roughly one percent of the world's population. So, what would it mean if we could put tools into their hands and allow them to change the work that they, the workplace that they're in?
0: How do employees, those, those um, 100 million people, you know, mm. potentially 100 million people that you're talking about, how do they use your app? What do they do with it?
1: So, we do it at, at two levels. So, at one level, it's the organisation asking and checking and seeing. Is the experience that we want you to have being fulfilled? Do you have a manager that's supporting you? Um, Do you have all the different pieces that we know lead to it being a better workplace? Is it anonymous? It's what we'd call confidential. So the difference being that to be able to act on the data, if everything was perfectly anonymous and you've got 20,000 people, it's very hard to act on the data. So instead what we do is we allow them to use demographic data and it's aggregated up so that you can say, oh, this is how engineers feel compared to how salespeople feel, for example. But there's not a name attached no to it. No name the attached. Content. And and that's a big part of what we do is provide that safe space for people to give that feedback. But we also do the other side too. So we work with individuals. So how would you, you know, if you need to get feedback on what could I do to get better and how can I get that from other people in the organization, we facilitate that as well. And a big part of the software is not just the knowledge, but action. So how do we help you act on what you've just learned? And that's the hardest piece. Right. And so therefore, you do you aggregate it and turn
0: it into usable data?
1: Mm-hmm. And then we provide uh, benchmark data and, and access to essentially the collective intelligence of, we have over 2,100 customers now. So all of those people, what have we learned from them and how do we bring that to bear for whatever it is that you're looking
0: at? Do you mean you, you've you um, collect the data from other companies and feed it back to uh, other, uh, to their competitors or other companies, not necessarily competitors, but do you use, do you collect all the data and feed it back to your customers? Yeah. So
1: we learn from all of that and we build that into either benchmarks so people can compare, how do we compare to other companies similar to us? Not anyone specific, like you can't say, I want to compare to that company, but what we can do is we can feed that back and say companies between 500 and 1,000 or new tech companies or industrial companies or whatever it might be. And then even more importantly, what have we learned in other companies where if you focus – if the most important thing for you to focus on is open and honest two-way communication, what are other companies doing that is making a difference, that's moving the needle on that thing? We can aggregate that learning and provide it back to people.
0: Do, does any, do any of your customers actually kind of break the system by having a, uh, a, um, an aim or ambition in their culture that's quite different?
1: Uh, no. I mean, we would in, embrace that. I think there's no such thing as a perfect culture. And a lot of it is actually about getting people to be more intentional about what they are. In the same way that you think about brands, if all the brands were the same, it would be pointless. And so a lot of the tooling is to actually help people figure what figure out what that is and communicate it better and then work out where it's not working.
0: Right. So what's the smallest
1: company that you service or serve? Oh, I think... Is it, I mean, it's about seven people, I think, is the smallest. And honestly, the problem we're trying to solve for most of those companies isn't really apparent at seven people. If you have seven people, get in a room and talk about it. But generally what happens is as you get to 30 or 50, um, there's a thing called Dunbar's number, which is 150 people, which is the most that we believe, sociologists believe, that we can keep in our head as a set of relationships. Once you hit Dunbar's 150, number- 150, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, at 150, you need some way of understanding it at scale. Yep. And that's what we help with. Yeah, right. And who's the 110,000 customer? Um, we don't disclose that, but we have quite a few very large companies as clients. And if you look uh, globally, we have most of the AFL teams, for example. We work with most of the AFL teams in Australia.
0: Most of the AFL teams?
1: Um, we work with... And uh, so, the
0: foot, so the football, the players kind of get to have well, we a work, safe space to complain about the coach? <laughs> we
1: work with the organisations. So some of those have players in them, some of them don't. But, you know, AFL teams are just like any other, you know, Organization, they're trying to be the best that they can be, and there's a lot of people that work behind the scenes
0: to make them successful. It's interesting you mention AFL teams because they are particularly high performance places. Mm. Yes, um, does, your play, does your app really suit more, more suit high performance um, environments than others, or not?
1: I think I, I would say we we tend to prefer to be a gym than a hospital, um, but it's not that it's specific to high performance organisations. Um, In many ways, the the world of work probably has more to do with uh, a school than it does with uh, a professional sports team, in the sense that you're working with a very wide range of people with a wide range of needs and and skills, and you have to work out how to make the best out of them. we learn a lot from high-performing, and a lot of our clients are in the US, so you know, we work with the Oakland Raiders, we work with uh, you know, all these p- professional sports teams over there, but we also work with Pixar and Cirque du Soleil and Nike and McDonald's, and so it's the, the full gamut. Hospitals, trucking companies, professional service firms, um, you name it, we work with. I think we're in 49 countries now, so uh, pretty much every type of work you can imagine, we're working
0: with. Well, congratulations Thank on what you. you've done. Thank They're you. Really fantastic. Thank you for having me on. I've been talking to Didier Elzinga, who is the CEO and founder of Culture Amp.